So, Jonah chapter 1, 17 onwards. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. Well, good evening, Uni Church. It's great to be with you uh, this evening. Do keep Jonah chapter 2 open in front of you uh, as we dig into it together. Well, uh, don't you just hate it when you get swallowed by a giant fish? Uh, This is a weird story, and for all the weirdness of the story of Jonah, uh, the thing that uh, Jonah wants us to focus on in chapter 2 is his words. Uh, The fish actually only gets mentioned right at the start and right at the end of this chapter. Uh, We don't get any details of how Jonah survived three days and three nights inside the fish. Uh, We don't know if the fish first swallowed a whiteboard so that Jonah could get some drafts down of his psalm, uh, of his prayer. Uh, We're just given the facts. And as Evan outlined for us last week, we are meant to read these as facts. That at the moment Jonah should have drowned and died, God commanded a fish to swallow him to keep him alive. The focus in chapter 2 is the prayer Jonah prays after three days and three nights in the fish. What we're meant to wrestle with here is Jonah's words. And I think we'll get to the heart of this chapter when we see the good and the bad in it, when we see the good and the bad in Jonah. If we're willing to be taught by him, willing to let him show us what we are like, and willing to let Jonah teach us about what God is like, then I think we'll leave here tonight with a fresh desire for repentance, for the need to look inside ourselves and realise just how much we have to say sorry to God for just how much he's forgiven us, and just how deep his grace really is. What's Jonah chapter 2 doing between chapter 1 and 3? It's teaching us that we all need to cry out to God. Uh, So let's dive in and have a look. Firstly, let's look at the good stuff in this prayer. What's Jonah got to teach us from chapter 2? I don't think you could read this prayer and miss the fact that Jonah's God is the God who hears and who rescues Let's have a look at verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. 
From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Uh, Verse 2 is Jonah's whole prayer in miniature. He's about to describe what happened in the moments after he was thrown overboard. But verse 2 is there to give clarity to the rest of this prayer. This is a prayer of thanksgiving to God because God heard Jonah's cry for help and saved him. Uh, If you were an Israelite, the sea represented chaos and death. Drowning was the worst way to go. There'd be no burial, you were just enveloped in the inky black of the ocean. There'd be no rest for your body. It was just an eternity of being thrashed around in the chaos. And that is where Jonah was. He'd gone all the way down. We saw in chapter 1 he went down to Joppa, down onto the boat, down into the deepest part of the ship. And now he's gone down through the waves, through the tangle of seaweed, down into the deep ocean. Jonah hasn't hit rock bottom. It tells us in verse 6 that rock bottom opened up and swallowed him and barred him in. And from all the way down there, Jonah cried out to God. He called for help and God answered him. Something happens here that happens in each of the first three chapters of the book of Jonah. We meet people who realize that they are about to die and they call out to God and God hears them. When that cry came out of Jonah's voice, it probably just sounded like a panicked gurgle, but it went straight from Jonah's lips to God's ears. Finally, the downward spiral that Jonah had started and that God had finished had come to an end. Have a look with me. Let's pick it up in verse 6. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah's telling us that there is no place too deep, too far away for God to hear and rescue from. Uh, Which brings us to another thing that should strike us about this prayer. Jonah is confident that he is going to make it out. That he will make sacrifices to God again. That he'll come all the way up out of the pit. He talks about this big rescue in the past tense. He says he's already been saved while he's being tickled by the digestive acid of this fish that he's currently sitting in. This prayer drips with confidence. Jonah knows he is not praying to a worthless idol. He is praying to a God who hears and acts. He knows God and knows that he can and will save him. No matter where Jonah needs rescuing from, he is sure that his God is going to get the job done. God has already brought his life up from the pit. And Jonah knows this because he knows he's praying to the God who owns salvation. Have a look with me at that last part of verse 9. It says, Salvation comes from the Lord. It belongs to him. It comes from him. Salvation is God's to give to whoever he wants. Verse 9 by itself sounds good. Shouts of grateful praise. Salvation comes from the Lord. But the confidence Jonah speaks with hits harder because he is praying from the belly of a fish, and he knows that he is going to make it out. And so uh, by the time we get to that great verse, verse 10, it almost feels like a formality because of how confidently Jonah spoke 
of his deliverance from death. Jonah's been rescued from certain death and he knows that it was God who brought him down and it was God who brought him back up again. But here's the thing. Jonah surviving drowning by being inside of a fish for three days is not God's best work. It's not the best proof that we have that salvation belongs to the Lord. It's a true story, but it's also an illustration for the crazier thing that God is going to do. I don't know if you know, but there's only one prophet that Jesus ever explicitly identified himself with by name. You'll never guess who it is. It's Habakkuk. No, I'm just kidding. It's Jonah. Uh, In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, this is what Jesus says. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus' resurrection is wilder than surviving uh, in a fish for three days because Jesus actually died. And Jesus' death isn't just some impressive circus trick. Jesus' death conquered death. And so the story of Jonah colors in our understanding of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jonah was in the pit. It was like he was already in the realm of the dead, it says in verse 2. But Jesus actually went there. He actually died. But what has Jonah taught us? Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so the belly of the fish and the tomb that Jesus was put in have something in common. A place that should have been a place of death has all of a sudden become a place of life and deliverance. Jonah is teaching us that there is nowhere that God can't rescue from. He can rescue Jonah from the ocean floor. He can rescue Jesus from the grave. And wherever you are, God can rescue you too. Salvation belongs to him. Jonah knows because he was rescued from death at the moment of death. When he was too far gone, he was brought up out of the pit. At the moment he was dead, God saved him. And so Jonah is a changed man. Let's read verse 9. Let's read all of it together. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah was a man running away from God, and now he's a man who wants to be with God, to be at the temple where God is, acknowledging that he needs God. He says, what I have vowed, I will make good. Uh, Whether he's talking generally about living in obedience to God or whether he's specifically talking about making travel plans to head off to Nineveh, Either way, we get the sense that Jonah, the Jonah who comes out of the fish, is a different man to the one who went in. But that doesn't feel like the whole story, does it? See, Jonah, he's ready to get to work, but as we keep looking at this prayer and keep reading it, it seems like God has still got some work to do in Jonah. There's some stuff in here that seems a bit off, a bit of bad mixed in with the good of this prayer. See, Jonah is really big on God's sovereignty, but he's not so big on saying sorry. He's talked a lot about what God has done, but not a lot about what he has done. In Christian circles, we like to talk about repentance 
as being like a 180 degree turn. You were heading in this direction, and now you're heading in this direction. But it's like Jonah only gets halfway. His repentance seems like more of a 90 degree repentance. In verse 4, he describes what's happened to him as being banished, as being driven away from God's sight. But he doesn't acknowledge that that banishment happened because he'd been trying to run away from God. He tried to flee over the sea from the God of heaven who made the land and the sea. He knows that God is in control, but he doesn't want to grapple with the fact that he is also responsible for his actions. And we do get a hint of repentance in this prayer. Twice he mentions the temple and looking towards the temple. And he knows that that is the place where sins are paid for. And he said that he wants to stop running and start obeying God. But his words here don't quite seem to match his situation. And so let me read two verses from two different Psalms that David wrote. And ask yourself as I read these, which one fits the situation that Jonah is in and which one sounds more like Jonah? Uh, Firstly, this is what David said when he'd been delivered from death on the run from Saul, who was unjustly trying to kill him. Uh, This is uh, Lots of us would have read about this uh, in our hub groups this semester. This is Psalm chapter 18, verse 6. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And now let me read to you from Psalm 51. Uh, This is the psalm David writes after he's been caught in adultery and realised that he has messed up. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. The situation matches the psalm of repentance, but his words match this psalm of hardship. But Jonah hasn't just fallen on hard times. He has been running away from God. He hasn't yet fully realized that he was down in the pit because his sin got him there. Uh, Jonah is all about uh, God's sovereignty and less about saying sorry. He's also on about his own salvation and is on about other people's judgment. And the whole book is kind of about Jonah grappling with these two things, salvation and judgment. He just can't quite put them together. Even though he recognises that he's been saved from God's judgment. In verse 8, this is what he says. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. He's saying, thank you, God, for not making me like those idol worshippers. But as we read read that verse, we can't help but think of the sailors from chapter 1. After God calmed the storm, those men offered sacrifices to the Lord, and they made vows to him, just like Jonah says he will. Jonah is thanking God for his salvation, that he's not like those sailors. But there doesn't seem to be room in his mind for them to change for God to change them. The question is, is Jonah going to recognise what he's already taught us, that salvation belongs to the Lord, that it's his to give to whoever he wants? Uh, You have to come back in two weeks for the answer for that one uh, as we look at Jonah chapter 4. 
But I hope you can feel the tension, the contradictions in Jonah. We feel like he doesn't quite deserve to be saved. He hasn't quite got it all worked out yet. But we've already seen in this book that God hears and God rescues. And for every bit that we feel Jonah doesn't deserve salvation, we should feel a hundred times more that Jesus did not deserve to be punished for our sin and for Jonah's sin. The reason God can be compassionate to Jonah is because he punished Jesus for Jonah's sin. Why could God show compassion to Jonah? Because Jesus got what Jonah deserved. And so the bad that we see in Jonah will remind us how sweet the forgiveness is that we have in Jesus. Forgiveness is forgiveness. Salvation belongs to God and he'll give it to whoever he wants. It doesn't come with caveats. There's no probation period that you have to go through. There's no theology exam to sit before you can be forgiven. Jonah just calls out to God and he is saved. We've seen the good and we've seen the bad and we're left with this reality that there's a lot of tension and contradiction in the person of Jonah. The Jonah who gets vomited out of the fish is not the same guy who went in. There's a change that's happened in him. But unbeknownst to readers of children's Bibles, there is a chapter 4 of Jonah to come. He hasn't got it all sorted out yet. His confidence in God is there, but his concerns are not the same as God's yet. This tension between Jonah's deep trust and his ability to save, and God's ability to save, and his self-centeredness and unawareness of himself, it makes us uncomfortable. Uh, And I think if we try to make a judgment one way or another, we'll miss some of the gold of this book. We'll be resolving a tension that the narrator wants us to sit with. Uh, We want to label Jonah a goodie or a baddie, and it's frustrating for us. Uh, And for the neatness of this story, that we can't do that. But as we've started to see, it's also wonderful news for us. Because God patiently works with us and for us, flawed and clueless that we are just like Jonah. Jonah's prayer, with all its good and bad, it tells us more about God's character than it does about Jonah's. Uh, Let me say that again. Jonah's prayer here tells us more about God's character than it tells us about Jonah's character. God deals with us more gently than we deserve. Even when our prayers are self-centered, Uh, Even when our prayers are tainted by sin, God is kind to us, whether or not we fully get just how kind he's been. And so I want us to finish uh, by spending some time together thinking about repentance, about how we can say sorry to God and call out for his help, because we can all learn from Jonah chapter 2 about repentance. Uh, Maybe you're here tonight and you think you're too far gone. Maybe you tried religion in the past and it just didn't work out for you. Uh, Maybe there's decisions in your past around relationships or family or lifestyle choices that make you feel like you and God are just too far apart. Maybe there's a big thing, a big mistake in your life that you just feel is too big for God's forgiveness. Maybe there's just a million small things that hurt to think about and that tangle up uh, in feelings and wrap around you like seaweed. 
If you feel too far gone for God, and it is time to listen to Jonah, let him tell you that you are never too far gone. Maybe it feels more personal than that. Maybe you feel like you've been banished by God, that for whatever reason he has stacked the decks against you, that, if your, life has, that your life has been full of heartache and tragedy, and that you've been drowning for a long time, and that you just want to run away from God. Listen to Jonah. Let him tell you from his own experience that when you cry out to God, he will lift you up out of the pit. That he has the power to save you, no matter how far away you feel, no matter how deep you've sunk. And I hope you can see in the uh, complex character of Jonah that there is no reason to wait. If we try and get ourselves sorted out before we cry out to God, we'll be waiting forever. If I think that whatever is happening in here, in my heart or in my head, or whatever's happened in my past, or whatever's happening in my life right now, is just too messy, and that I need to get things tidied up, and I need to get things straightened out before calling out to God. And I've missed what Jonah's taught us. I've missed that salvation belongs to the Lord and not to me. He's the one who saves us because we are the ones who need saving. He loves to save and he is not expecting us to get ourselves sorted out first. The thief who was crucified on the cross next to Jesus that we read about in the Gospels, he had absolutely nothing going for him. Uh, He'd never been to Bible study, he wasn't baptised, he hadn't picked a church denomination yet. And yet, at the moment of death, when all hope was lost, he heard these words from Jesus. Today, you will be with me in paradise. If you haven't yet, cry out to God. Let him save you. Let Jonah teach you that you can trust God and that God can save you because salvation belongs to him. The Lord Jesus was sent down lower than Jonah for us. He went all the way down so that we don't have to. He died for us. And his resurrection, his new life, uh, means that we can have new life. That whatever happens to us in this life uh, will be raised from the pit to eternal life with him. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've already called out to God in repentance. Uh, And if so, praise God. Because you have experienced a much bigger and much better salvation than the one we read about in the book of Jonah. And a much much more amazing rescue. And so maybe tonight, as well as being taught by Jonah about God, uh, there's an opportunity to learn from Jonah about what not to do. Because the Christian life is one of constant repentance. This chapter gives us an opportunity to look at ourselves As we see that tension and contradiction in Jonah, it should remind us that those same contradictions and tensions are in us. I know that I can look back on my life and see times when my repentance was more like a 90-degree turn than a 180-degree turn, uh, where my attitude towards someone was improved but not fixed. I can think of times where I became aware of my own sin while I was still assuming that I'm better than I actually am. 
where I was saying sorry to God while harboring resentment against my brothers and sisters. Uh, As evangelical Christians, we love God's grace. We are confident, just like Jonah, that we have already been saved. Uh, And that is a wonderful thing. Do not ever let that change. But there are times when our prayers and our stance towards God should look more like Psalm 51 than Psalm 18. Uh, Rather than just rejoicing, there is a time to weep. And I think Jonah's attitude in chapter 2 should make us ask, is there something that I need to say sorry to God for? The Christian life is one of constant repentance. We still sin against God, and we are still self-centered in our focus. There are times that we need to mourn that and sit with that, sit with the reality of our sin, be grieved by all the ways that we grieve God. The discomfort we feel as we read Jonah 2 should push us to bake repentance into our daily and weekly schedules. When am I going to find the time to say sorry to God? When will I make time to examine myself and my hearts and my behavior and my attitudes? When will I give myself the opportunity to see some of the ways that I'm being self-centered like Jonah, blind to my own unacknowledged sin? When am I going to give myself time to do that rather than just thanking God that I'm not like those people over there who worship idols? Just like Jonah, we have been changed by God's grace, but we must never fall into the trap of thinking that we are finished projects. The Christian life is one of constant repentance. Whether you've started that life or not, we can all call out to God in repentance because there is no one else who can help us. No matter where we are, God will hear us and lift us up because salvation belongs to him. Why don't we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son who went all the way down into the pit and died the death that we deserve. We thank you for Jonah, uh, for the story and the character that he is, uh, help us to share his confidence in our salvation. Help us to be taught by him to trust you uh, and give us opportunities for repentance, Uh, whether it's for the first time or for the millionth time. Help each one of us to call out to you, uh, to know that you can save us, to work out where we need to say sorry to you, and turn around and repent so that we can live for you. For the glory of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.